Hello, my name is Mario Lemons, and this is Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Welcome to Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast where we highlight the strength of our city, the spirit of our people, and share your stories of compassion. Welcome back to Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. I'm your host, Will Rucker, and today's episode is about education. That's right. Education is one of the most important and critical factors in determining the success of any human being in our society. And today we're going to speak with someone who has really an incredible story about how they entered the field and what they're doing to innovate in their school. Before we get into today's guest, I want to encourage you to go to our podcast rating and hit that five-star review. That's right. Your rating and review helps others to find this podcast and is a quick, easy, simple way for you to make Las Vegas a more compassionate place to live, work, and play. Now, today's guest is head of school at Detroit Achievement Academy. Mario Lemons is a native of Detroit and was educated in the Detroit public school system. He graduated from Michigan State University with a bachelor's degree in elementary education and a master's degree in teaching and curriculum with a specialization in English and language instruction. Mario is passionate about empowering young people to be their best selves and is excited to bring his expertise to his workplace every day. For the past five years, Mario has dedicated himself to educating young people in the arts as well as empowering students academically, socially, and emotionally. Mario's innovative leadership, enthusiasm, and excitement for his work are sure to inspire you. So without further ado, Let's get into it. Well, welcome to the show, Mario. I am so glad that you were able to join the podcast. The work that you are doing in Detroit City is amazing, and your life story is amazing. So I'm just going to dive right into this with the hardest question of our conversation. Okay. Who are you, and how do you define compassion? Got it. Well, I am um, an educator um, at heart. Um, I am a principal by trade in a school at Detroit, Michigan. Um, but the work that I do in various sectors of the community very much so come from a very compassionate uh, space because I am an educator. Everything that I do, I want to empower, I want to educate, I want to enlighten people uh, so that they can become the best them that they can become. And so um, whatever I'm doing, whether it's teaching you theater classes, whether it's speaking on podcasts like this, whether it's being a principal of a whole school community, um, I'm always thinking of ways that I can support communities and uh, be compassionate and help other people to be compassionate as well. So that's me, Mario Lemons. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you define or describe compassion? Well, I think that it comes from, uh, Compassion really is um, the way that you emote with other people. Um, you know, empathy is something that comes from the heart. It's different from sympathy, right? You can feel bad for someone and like, oh, but really have no connection. But when we think about empathy, it's like, hey, I can really um, 
connect with you. I can understand how that would feel if it were me, even if I've never experienced that before. And so when you bring in empathy into a community, it allows you to become way more compassionate in the ways that you interact with one another, um, but then also the decisions that you make. Um, because as we think about our roles in a community, whether it's, you know, roles of leadership or if it's supporting roles, if we're walking and being in the space of compassion, um, then your decision making is different because you're considerate of other people. You're more empathetic. You're more uh, thoughtful in the things that you do. And so compassion for me is truly walking in the place of empathy uh, that you really do care about your fellow men. Yeah, that's that's exactly it from my perspective as well. How how that is expressed is vastly different from culture to culture and person to person. But right now we're in the midst of a unprecedented crisis that is affecting literally the globe. Yeah. Now, as a leader of a school, that means you have kids that you're responsible for, parents that you're responsible for and team members, teachers that you're responsible for, and probably a whole host of other people I'm not considering. How have you used compassion to lead through this crisis? Um, well, it's a, a daily journey, for one, um, because as you said it yourself, it's such un unprecedented times. It's uncharted territory. Like almost every moment we're like, oh, we didn't consider that or well, didn't realize that this would be a challenge as well. And so um, given each other grace, Along the way, um, I just talked to my staff this week because we just launched um, a couple other um, initiatives within our school as we are doing remote learning. Um, and I remember telling them, I said, hey, this may not work, <laughs> but we are really going to try. But give yourselves grace first because you're, you might mess up. You might have to change things, but also give families and kids some grace because this is so new for everybody and that there are so many un unspoken factors and nuances that come with just existing during this time that we don't even think about. And so as we are expecting kids to do this, this, and this, and families to show up and, you know, pull their weight, we have to also be very compassionate with each other to understand that life is very difficult for everybody right now, you know? And so I've been really conscious with that and really empowering my staff to know that, hey, we're gonna do all that we can to support families and do everything that we can to make sure that our young people are still engaged and learning, but also we have to create a human experience and have to remember that there are real lives that we're dealing with. We're not talking just numbers, right? I have 25 kids in my class and, five of them didn't do the work and 15 of them hopped on the Google Hangout or whatever the case may be like, these are real people who have vast uh, things that they're experiencing during this time, you know, grief and confusion, isolation, you know, all of those things that come along with it. Uh, so that's one, um, or sort of like the overarching sort of vibe, if you will, that I'm really empowering my staff to have in my, my, my community. Um, but then the very practical things that we're doing that I believe is very much so in line with uh, Compassionate Las Vegas um, is that we actually have been giving out laptops to our students um, and really going above and beyond to make sure that all of our families have access to internet. Um, we've also had 
um, a mobile pantry uh, that comes to our school and we're making sure that we're being safe with social distancing. So what happens is every two weeks, which today was one of the days, so every other uh, Tuesday, uh, families can actually drive into our parking lot and we literally have them pop the trunk and we give them two weeks worth of food. We're talking like pounds of potatoes and um, peanut butter and milk and, and other sort of produce uh, so that families have um, the necessities that they need to take care of their families. Um, and then the other practical thing that we've been doing that I believe is very compassionate is uh, we've been getting a lot of donations to our school because of the work that we've been doing above and beyond other schools in Detroit. Um, and so we have a whole like thousands of dollars worth of money for a fund as a relief uh, for some families because there unfortunately been several of our families who have been stricken um, with um, grief because of uh, some family members who have passed away from COVID-19. And so helping families with financial support for funeral expenses, um, also helping them to be able to uh, meet those needs if they've been laid off and like the unemployment situation as crazy as it's been, um, you know, being able to help help bridge those gaps and make sure families have what they need. And so, um, again, those are maybe three or so, you know, specific things that we've done with the food, finance, technology. But then again, all of that could not have been done if I didn't create a culture of compassion um, and empathy and also like giving each other grace along the way. So that is beyond exceptional. I am thrilled to hear it. And I, I didn't know about the depth of what you were providing. I knew about the pantry and that sort of thing. But to hear that big picture, it's it's inspiring. And this show, of course, exists to amplify hope and oh. to know that good things are still happening in this very difficult time. Yeah. And in in your own way, you are transforming your city because of this the impact that you're having just by providing something as basic as food, but it's basic, but it's essential. And it really can change someone's circumstance from day to day, just to know that, you know what, there's a place where I can get the, the essentials, the necessities, and I will be okay for two weeks. Yeah. That makes a difference in, in people's lives. And I don't think we can understate how important that is. Yeah. Well, it's been a complete pleasure. Um, you know, it's been a lot of extra work, of course, but, you know, the nature of what we do as community members, you know, let alone teachers or whatever our title is, but as a member of the community um, that I grew up in, that I went to high school in, you know, like, and now I'm the leader of a school that I'm responsible, in my opinion, to do my part. And so while it may be some extra steps along the way to make sure that things are happening, um, I think it's those necessary steps because it's in these times, as you say, that communities um, are tested to see if they really are compassionate and you have opportunities to do what I believe is right. You can choose to do it or not. And so we're choosing very intentionally to do what we feel is right for our community, especially um, because the zip code that I'm in is one of the hottest spots in the state of Michigan um, oh. for the COVID-19 pandemic. So um, there's so many challenges. I mean, we could talk all day about some of the nuances and demographics that are affected in our community. But if we can do our part, I think that we can surely make a difference in our community. And it's our responsibility, in my opinion. Yeah. And you said two words. You just said them again. I'm responsible. And that's that's leadership. So 
in this time of crisis, that that ownership of the responsibility is something we don't necessarily see at all levels. How have you stayed centered in yourself with the weight of that responsibility? Because you do have, you have little lives, big lives, you know, all of these in your hands. So that can be overwhelming for someone, especially someone that is empathetic. What are you doing so that you're okay? That's a good question. People, <laughs> um, I'm not going to say people don't ask that question because uh, there have been some families and people who have like loved on me and made sure that like I was okay because they see me like running around and, you know, sending emails and messages and coordinating things. Um, um, so those are moments I really do um, hold them to high regard. So when families or people are like, hey, Mario, shout out to you. I thank you so much for your work. I, I, I don't take that lightly. And so that fills my bucket, right? Especially in moments where I'm like super tired, I'm up late. Um, and then I get a text, you know, from a family member like, hey, I just want to say thank you so much for dropping that food off, you know, because I've done that before where families weren't able to come to the school. And I just like pulled up in the driveway and had the kids, you know, come grab the stuff off the trunk for me. Um, you know, and so like those little moments like that uh, really do fuel me to keep doing this type of work. Um, but even if that hadn't been something that I got regularly, the things that I do for myself, um, I have very protected time in the morning um, to kind of like get my mind right <laughs> um, and really take time uh, to express gratitude, um, to also like self-care and make sure that I'm in the in a well space um, before I even do anything, you know, out in the public. Um, and that really does help me to be able to be the best me I can be because oftentimes for people like myself, like we give, give, give so much and then we're empty. And then, you know, we, we don't refill ourselves with rest, with eating right, with exercise. And so then when we go back out into the world and we're supposed to be given, we don't have much to give. You know, and then you're wondering, like, well, Mario's a little cranky today. Oh, you don't think? I've been eating frozen food all week. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so protect the time in the morning um, as well as, you know, those affirmations. Um, but then also eating healthy, I kind of alluded to that. Um, I am 75% vegetarian and, like, 25% pescatarian. So uh, I would be vegan if I didn't love cheese and seafood so much. So, <laughs> um, so I really do take that very seriously, um, my diet, because I do feel so much better when I'm eating uh, fresh foods and, you know, fruits and vegetables um, and not a whole lot of junk. Um, and I also don't particularly like doing exercises, but um, my friends who are around me are like, they won't let me down. Like they won't let me be a slacker. Um, so I just finished this uh, challenge with a friend yesterday was, it was a 30 day challenge for squats and pushups. So every day I had to do some form of exercise um, to meet this challenge. Cause my friend was texting me like, I just cashed in, which is like his phrase of what I just did uh, my part of the challenge today. And so I'm like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, uh, but no, so of course, you know, it's funny to say, you know, that I don't like the exercise, but it's so, ne so necessary um, for so many reasons for your health, but also for your mental state to be able to like push through, um, and accomplish your goals, you know, because those type of goals really translate to, you know, achieving certain things that you have to achieve, you know, at work or like in the community that might be difficult. So as I'm training myself, you know, both physically and mentally, it's really training me to be able to go out and fight the good fight, 
um, and continue to show compassion with the community, even when it's moments where I don't want to, or even when it's moments that I'm like, oh, do I have to? Yes, you got a challenge. Your challenge is to be compassionate and serve the community, just like them push-ups, you know? Right. That's actually a good challenge. We might do that hashtag compassion challenge. I love it. Why not? I'll be down. <laughs> but you just gave us a ton. So protected time in the morning, Yes. doing affirmations, staying healthy by eating well and being physically active. All of that is part of the light work of, of being a helper, of being someone who is living in this world in a compassionate way, because taking care of oneself removes that burden from others. And it also models for people what is possible. Now, you don't look a day over 55. So tell us what it's like to be a young leader in this space. Got it. Got it. Um, <laughs> you're right. I'm not 55. Um, but I am older than most people think I am. But it, that's neither here nor there. Um, so for me, um, I, I think my posture for sure um, helps me to be able to operate in various spaces. Um, I very rarely get pushback from people who think I'm younger than I am or, you know, whatever. Um, but my charisma oftentimes in my youth allows me to be able to uh, inspire people to jump on board with my crazy ideas to like change the world, you know. Um, and then also I have a very strong core group of people who are just as passionate as I am about accomplishing goals and, and meeting the needs of the community. And so it doesn't feel like I'm the young person because I have other people in my age group who are just as educated as I am, you know, with master's degrees and ex years of experience in the community. Um, and so while my youth might in some sectors, you know, be at disadvantage, my experience and the people, my cohort, the people that come along with me with these various uh, ideas and visions um, to make them come to pass, it allows me to have a lot more validity um, and allows people to be more willing to, to follow, you know, um, because it, one, a quote I read said something like, if you, if you're, um, if you're a leader and you don't have anybody following you and by following is very loose, but like people who are like buying into your vision and like supporting the work you do, you're just taking a walk by yourself. <laughs> and so, um, you know, my leadership style is all about um, connecting with people, um, sharing with people how they could also benefit from, you know, my ideas and, and the work that we do, but also leaning on other people's strengths, right? I might be the person that's in the front, excuse me, uh, quote unquote, leading, um, but I cannot do the work that I do without other people in their respective lanes and their expertise really pushing um, towards accomplishing our goals and, and doing it from a place of love and compassion as well. So. so would you say that you are responsible for how your team executes, whether it's failure or success? I do. That's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. Um, and sometimes if you fail, quote unquote, um, you know, it can feel like, oh, my God, like I failed. Um, so I try not to, to do that much pressure because I understand that that we all play a, a part in making things happen. But I certainly do put a lot of the onus on like the leader and like making sure that I am the one who is holding other people accountable and inspiring people, but also leading by example. So if things aren't getting done, you know, what does that look like? Does it mean that, you know, 
uh, inspired them to continue to do it? Do I give them the resources to support them along the way so that they can accomplish it? Um, or do I just step up and, and do it myself and then have a reflection moment with the teammates later? Um, but that's kind of a case by case. But I, I do believe that the leader has a huge role to play in accomplishing goals. You have a very clear and a most precise vision that's just evident. And in the way that you approach, you know, your education and, and your community there, how did you form this compassionate worldview? A lot of what you say would have been prior to this COVID outbreak, you know, considered completely radical and unrealistic. I think now people are starting to recognize the importance of meeting others' needs, even when they don't quote unquote deserve it. But how did you form this worldview of compassion? Um, that's a good question. A couple of things that come to mind. Um, one, I am a world traveler. Um, and so I've been all over the world. Um, and so I've seen um, communities that have a lot less than we have, and they are still committed to making sure that everybody in the community is well taken care of. Um, everybody's playing their part, you know, and, and so that just gives me a different perspective of what's possible, you know, because if all I knew was what I experienced in, in the United States, I would have a very limited view and maybe I wouldn't be as open to what's possible. Um, Where have, have you been? Where are some of the places that maybe stand out? Yeah, so one, um, I was just looking at one of my art pieces. Um, I absolutely cannot wait to go back to South Africa. Um, that was a wonderful time there. Um, I helped build a school in Guatemala, uh, which was a lot of fun. And that community really did change a whole lot of my perspective. Um, I've been to Egypt, uh, Germany. I've been to... Um, I'd studied abroad in the Virgin Islands um, in an indigenous community. Um, so yeah, so that, so those are some, so I've been to Jamaica, which was awesome too. I, I, I really do enjoy um, vacationing and, and that, so, that's, that sort of thing, but I'll also spend a lot of time in the culture. And so if I don't have time to really be in, engulfed in the culture, um, I'm not really interested in that particular trip usually, um, but those vacations that I just talked about, really I did spend some significant time um, in the community, especially South Africa because I studied abroad uh, for a summer there. Um, so being able to meet the people and hear their perspectives um, has really given me a, a broader view of what's possible and what's needed, right? And so when we think about our community, while we, you know, whether, you know, it's still poverty where we may be, like, it's nothing compared to what other parts of the world are experiencing. And in spite of that, families and communities in other parts of the world are happy but also they are way more committed to making sure that the whole community is doing well. So that's one, that's one. So getting outside of your bubble has really helped to form that. Absolutely, absolutely. It really does allow you to um, put things in perspective. Because I mean, I think sometimes you believe that all that exists is what you have, right? And like, some, it, that, that's another way that I practice gratitude is like, hey, I've seen poverty. Right. I've seen, you know, hunger and people who really don't have much and yet they still are happy, yet they still find ways um, to stay connected to one another. And so when I think back on some of the experiences I've had as a child, you know, 
I see ways that we have been able to survive throughout the years because of that community uh, feel. And maybe I wouldn't have noticed that had I not gone out of the country and seen sort of families and older community members being able to be the rock in the community. So I'm able to be like, oh, wait, that was, that's my grandma. Oh, she's kind of like, you know, my auntie, you know, and that kind of thing. And so for me, it, observing and like being able to be in, in, involved, involved in um, international travel has really helped, but then also really um, being a part of my community and seeing the ways that people just pick up the pieces and, and pull their weight. And really, I feel like I am who I am because of a village of people, um, both, you know, blood relatives, extended family, um, church family. You know, I was also very involved in the arts. So my arts community, you know, cer certainly has helped me to be who I am and have those perspectives of, of what, what the responsibility of a community member is. Um, arts, education, and the experiences I've had in performing arts. I used to be a part of a theater company uh, when I was in middle school and high school. I ended up starting my own theater company and producing plays and concerts and doing, and I still do consulting work and teach some youth theater classes. But like the community that you create within the arts industry is very much so uh, um, a community of possibilities because you're literally creating family. You're creating art. You're cre you know, and so like the possibilities as I am now as a principal of a school, like nothing is impossible to me. <laughs> you know, it's just like I've seen things sort of manifest out of what people could perceive as nothing. And because I've seen that internationally, I've seen that in my family, I've seen that in the theater world, um, in the arts community, I feel like I can do that in the education space. And I have seen that in the education space. Even when I was a classroom teacher, there would be kids who come in super low academically. And as we continue to dream together and work and put the, the work in to help support and learn and grow, by the end of the year, this kid is like, you know, above grade level. Like that, that's like, it, it's mind blowing to see, but had I not had the the experiences that I had to understand, like, hey, we're going to have to pull this partner in. We're going to have to work, bring this resource in. We're going to have to come one-to-one, -one, have some one-to-one -one conversations and push each other. And then, you know, it, had I not had those experiences, then I don't think I would have been as optimistic and compassionate as I am um, to really impact communities at very high levels. You, you, that was a deep question. And as I'm talking, I'm, like, getting some uh, revelation. <laughs> like uh processing through you know what i've experienced and why i'm even able to do the work that i do and it's certainly like i said because of the experiences i've had growing up yeah no that that's awesome and you're doing exactly what i hoped you would which is just share from your heart and from your essence so one thing that that just stood out with with what you just said was really it was the community that surrounded you that gave you the vision to believe in the impossible so here in Las Vegas, of course, you know, we're, we're hit really, really hard because of the shutdown that's global. We are a global destination. Tourism is our industry here. And so just the, the few little tidbits you shared, that should give hope and inspiration to let people know that even though times are tough now and they, they look like they're insurmountable odds, you can do the impossible as long as you do it together. Is, is that what I'm hearing? No, that's exactly, you put the uh, nail right on the head there, yeah. Good. Well, one other shift I want to take and then we'll wrap up 
you apparently look like you may not be a person that um, we'll say is of the majority ethnicity, also okay. known as a minority. Yeah, all right. <laughs> How has that impacted your view of compassion, being a minority in, in a world that isn't necessarily as favorable as it should be? Right. I'm going to be honest. Um, my perspective of my Blackness and, you know, me being a person of color um, has evolved throughout the years. Um, I was really privileged um, to go to an elementary school that was an Afrocentric uh, elementary school. So you'll see me wear Kente colored stuff or like African art or stuff like that. Um, just because that's kind of what was my upbringing. So it was like, hey, it was a school that was very much so special and unique to the community because we understood or the elders understood that young people needed to feel empowered to be who they are, to know that they are beautiful, that they are educated, that they are, you know, no, you know, they're special. Right. And so Rosa Parks used to come to my school frequently to visit because she lived in the same apartment building as my principal. Um, several other significant um, African-American people came to my school to visit um, and, that in itself gave me a level of support and like really empowered me to know that like just because I'm black doesn't mean that I can't achieve well. Um, and so I've always been a high achiever because of that background. Now, obviously being in Detroit, you know, growing up in Detroit, it's majority African-American. You go to a black church, you go to, a, you know, black school, black everything. So like my view on like who I was really wasn't challenged um, growing up because I, I knew who I was. I knew that I had so many things that were possible and I was accomplishing things at high level since I was in elementary school. Now, it wasn't until I got into college where I went to Michigan State University and then I realized that everybody in the world is not black, um, <laughs> but also not everybody in the world has even seen a black person Yeah, and have views of people of color as being positive and smart and you know and you know like that that the things that i knew that people of color were able to accomplish there i realized once i got to michigan state that there were people who never learned but also learned just the contrary that people of color aren't worth talking to aren't intelligent aren't uh qualified to be at michigan state you know so i i was confronted with all of those um sort of preconceived notions of who i was and i remember um i was uh, the only black guy in my dorm my first year um I had three white um roommates and for the most part they were really nice but there were several racist people across the hall from us and so we had a lot of issues uh, with racism and really the four years that I was at Michigan State um, I ended up being involved in a lot of activism work because uh, my last year in particular we had found a doll hanging from a ceiling like from the neck and it was like a voodoo doll but it was like being lynched and then there was like mm -hmm. 60 racist incidents that we documented in the first six weeks. So I've been a part of this struggle uh, since I was about 18 years old when I realized that, hey, um, not everybody loves me for who I am, you know? And so as a result, um, it, it has allowed me to really tap back into my upbringing and remind myself that I am somebody. And that- well, How do you navigate that space though? So you're, you're in a dorm with people that mm -hmm. are- 
overtly racist. You're dealing yep. with campus incidents that are, are really traumatizing. Mm -hmm. and, and you persevered. You obviously graduated and succeeded. But okay. did you did you work to change the perspective, or how did you even just exist within that space? I did. Um, it's just I. <laughs> I, I wasn't raised to be a coward. And so, you know, but I also was raised to educate. I and mean, when I talk about, you know, being an educator, I remember being in my dorm and a guy across the hall was listening to some rap music, which is fine, but he had it playing really loud. Um, and then he kept yelling just the N word. There was no other lyrics that he would say, or he was saying it really loud. Mind you, I'm the only black guy on the floor. I live directly across the hall from him. And I just remember thinking like, this can't be real. Oh my goodness. And so I really almost tapped into, you know, my ancestors and they're like, what should I do? <laughs> it's like, and I was, you know what? I'm a, I'm a confront them. I'm not, I'm not afraid of a conversation. You know, if you put these hands on me, that's a different thing. But if it means, Hey, let me go over here and have a conversation with him and let him know, like, that's not cool. That's not appropriate. Um, I'm offended. I don't like it when you do that. Then hopefully he can learn. And what I did was I, I remember I went across the hall and I was like, Hey, and he's like, you could see like his face, like, you know, because he obviously was doing it on purpose. And I just was like, dude, like, stop. I, I don't like it when you do that. Like, please stop saying the N word. It's very offensive. And he's like, uh, okay. And like, he turned the music off. And that was that. But not all of my interactions with people uh, who were overtly racist uh, went that well. But um, what I end up doing is that freshman year, I joined. Um, the freshman class council, which was a, um, a part of um, the student association, like the student government, if you will, at Michigan State. Um, but there was a specific board that was um, addressed the issues of freshmen, because you could just imagine, you know, transitioning to college, there's people from, you know, up north who've never seen anybody of color, you know, and there's people from Detroit who've all only seen, you know, black people, or maybe been a first generation college student. So um, I was like, okay, I'm gonna uh, run for um, president of the uh, freshman class council. And I, I won that election, my freshman year in college. And I remember, um, just really working hard to make sure that the experience for freshmen was very uh, smooth. And so when I, when I got there, uh, we did different bills and things of that nature. And one of the bills was uh, to say, they were, someone had proposed that they should check what type of race you want as your roommate. Like they wanted to do like a survey coming into this and I, I got stories. <laughs> so, so it comes across my desk or, you know, part of the conversation. They're like, oh, that'd be great. You know, I'm the only black guy, of course, on the student council. Um, and they're like, hey, I think that'd be cool because then that way people can find people that are more compatible. You know, maybe you're a night owl, maybe you're, you know, this particular major, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, but they're, and I looked at it and I like, but now they're asking like about race, like, like what race you would prefer. And they're like, yeah, well, you know, some people don't feel comfortable. I was like, mm-mm, there's no way we go have this pushed through. Any and it's not going to go far. It's not passing here at all. Yeah. I remember it being this big uproar because affirmative action had just uh, gotten disbanded right when I, um, at least in Michigan, right when I got to uh, college. And there was this roaring sort of mummering around, like, if people of color who were at Michigan State really earned it, you know, and if it was oh. because of affirmative action. So I really had 
those conversations a lot where it's like, mm, let's, let's talk about the facts. It's disbanded as of, you know, a couple years prior. Um, and I also have this grade point average, this ACT. Your friend didn't get in because he didn't qualify. You know? <laughs> I didn't feel his, his part, you know, and I currently still have a 3.8, you know, GPA, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, so those were conversations that, that were, was already happening um, on campus. And so when I got that, you know, proposal in front of me, I'm like, this is my time to actually stop something like this from being a part of a conversation that who knows if the right people aren't at the table, it could have gone far and maybe even been a conversation across the board that maybe got adopted or, you know, who knows, uh, would have put a path in. And then fast forward to that following year, I became intercultural aid, um, which is like a RA, but for people of color or to help transition people of color, international students and first year college students. And so my role from my sophomore, junior and senior year in college was to be in the halls, like in the residence halls and work in collaboration with the RA, but to bring diversity in, to um, produce um events that allow uh, people in the dorms to get together and have conversation about race and ethnicity and culture. Uh, we did different taste testing thing, you know, um, taste fest, you know, from all over the world. Uh, we had game nights that intentionally uh, engage families um, and people from other cultures. Um, and then we were that point person for some of those races incidents that were happen. If something were to happen, you know, like, I don't know, like, for example, when the guy was yelling the N-word across the hall, like I went to my intercultural aid to have that conversation. Uh, or I would have if I didn't feel comfortable going straight to that guy. And so I became that for um, students within the Michigan State University dorms uh, for the next three years. And then my senior year, actually junior and senior year, I became a board member for the Black Student Alliance. Um, and so that was like the umbrella group for all of the African-American based organizations. And so um, my senior year, I was the president. And that's, like I said, when we documented 60 racist incidents that happened um, throughout the campus in the first six weeks, um, we did huge marches and protests. That was the same year that Trayvon Martin uh, was killed. So we did tons of protests around that and conversations about how to, um, really coexist and and work along color lines and like cultures and so i mean the work that i did was some serious stuff yeah. um but as i think about it you know in retrospect again i'm an educator always been i'm always looking to help support people to be able to think differently and to engage with one another with compassion because guess what we're all in this world together you know, and in order for us to uh, make the best of it, but also make an impact that's positive and like progresses us as a community forward, we have to find ways to have difficult conversations. We have to care about each other enough to challenge each other if we are not being compassionate, if we are coming from a place of um, hatred or, you know, like disdain, because, you know, if you allow that type of um, disrespect and, you know, lack of compassion to go on. Um, what does that say about our community? And, you know, of course, community is very broad of a term, but like at Michigan State, we are a whole community. 
but we also represent so many other communities. So if I don't do my part to help push people's thinking and continue to support uh, growth and development um, across all types of cultures and, and, and communities, then you're gonna go to your community and keep thinking that way and keep pushing for some of these negative ideologies and things that are tearing our cultures apart and pinning us against one another. And so, Hopefully, you know, I'm not saying that I'm the change agent that, you know, like the Martin Luther King of my day, but like, you know, imagine if some of these people who came to the conversations that I've had, you know, on campus and like the big rallies and, you know, things of that nature, what if they didn't come to that? Maybe they, what if they didn't have the conversation? Who knows what they would be capable of, you know, moving forward. And so that's me. Um, <laughs> I've been like that since I was a kid, it was like that in college. And then, you know, I could tell you stories of how I pushed, um, for, you know, people to think differently, even as an educator. Um, but, you know, as a teacher, like as an adult and as a principal, but, um, does that answer your question? Sorry. You know, it does. It absolutely does. And it gives me a lot. So you'll see some of these as Instagram posts too, because you gave us some great quotes there too. <laughs> I'm what I really love is, is you've, you've highlighted some things some previous guests have said, which is the, the change comes in the conversation. But you've also stressed the importance of being present and being present as your authentic self. If you weren't at the table, if you weren't there in the room, if you didn't own that space and truly express your, your thoughts, then things could have happened differently. And just kept being the same as they've been and not move forward. So being present in that space was your act of compassion and educating was your act of compassion and confronting was your act of compassion. A lot of times people feel compassion is weak or meek or any of those things that, um, that don't cause change, but it's, it's really much more. And I think you expressed a lot of that in a really, really great way. So I want to wrap us up here, but I want to let people know how to get in contact with you. So how do they connect with you online or do you have a website, anything like that? Yeah, um, I can be contacted. Uh, you can send me an email, uh, lemons, L-E-M-O-N-S, M as in Mario, the number one at gmail.com. Um, I would love to engage and have conversations uh, with other people about this type of work. Um, but then you also can follow me on Facebook, just Mario Lemons, M-A-R-I-O-L-E-M-O-N-S. Or you could follow me on Instagram, which um, has a lot of my travel pictures and some of my inspirational quotes. Um, but that is Mario, not Luigi. <laughs> <That's what I'm laughs> so spell that for us, Mario, <laughs> not Luigi. Yep, yep, all one word, no underscores, just M-A-R-I-O-N-O-T-L-U-I-G-I. So at M-A-R-I-O-N-O-T-L-U-I-G-I. -I. Just a little fun. Uh, I love it. Tagline there, but uh, yeah. Well, I close every podcast with kind of a summary of how you express compassion in the world. So if you, in one or two sentences, could just explain how you're embodying compassion in Detroit, which of yeah. course ripples out even to Las Vegas and beyond. One, um, one other one quote that comes to mind um, is what I share was something that I grew up with, but also things that I say to my young people uh, when I have challenging conversations with them or if I'm like really like 
in a space where like there is a difficult conversation. And so I'll say, you know, I love you too much to let you just act a fool. <laughs> and so, you know, for me, I think that my approach to compassion is that I love myself. I love my community. I love this world too much to not do my part, to push people's thinking, but also to step up to the plate and meet the needs of the community. I love you too much. There may be some moments where I'm like, I don't want to, or, you know, this is a hard decision, you know, it's gut-wrenching, but the love and the compassion that I have will not allow me to sit idle, will not allow me to not do my part. So that's how I, this, how I show compassion. Well, we'll leave it there. <laughs> Thank you for having me. This has been Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Thank you for listening. This episode was made possible by the Jameson Foundation in partnership with the Moonridge Group. There are so many amazing things happening and so many people have inspirational stories to share. So if you are one of those people, this is your platform. Email me at will at winningwithwill.com. Just use the subject line Compassionate LV and let me know your story. I'd love to have you on the show or to feature your story in a future episode. Be sure to subscribe and if you haven't already, leave a five-star review. Your review and rating helps others to find this podcast and helps to further the mission to make Las Vegas a more compassionate place. Today, Mario encouraged us to take time each morning to be compassionate to ourselves, to treat our bodies with compassion by engaging in physical activity and eating nutritious foods, and to take time for enjoyment. What are some ways you found to employ compassion for yourself? Tell me about it in your review. It may just be featured on the next episode. In case you didn't know, Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast, is now on YouTube. If you want to not only hear these incredible stories, but see the energy of our guests live and in living color, subscribe to our visual podcast on YouTube. Just search Compassionate LV Podcast with Will Rucker and the channel will pop right up. Love and compassion aren't luxuries, they are necessities. Live the golden rule and treat others the way you would want to be treated. Together, we can make a difference. Together, we will make the world a more compassionate place. Know that you are not just a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. Be well, my friends, and we will meet again on the next episode of Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast.